What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Colin, the chief Av Geek, aviation maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Welcome back, everybody. We are launching another episode of Ask the Av Geek, and I have a super special guest on tonight. Crazy thing is, is we weren't even supposed to record this podcast. It just so happened. We were supposed to record it last night, but my guest got dropped off in the middle of a mountain range and unfortunately gave me the, sh- uh, gave me the call and said, hey, uh, they dropped us off in the middle of a mountain. We, uh, I can't record, sorry. I'm like, damn, all right, well, we'll get it done. And then I was supposed to fly tonight, but then I had a nav light issue. So I was like, man, I, this, this whole week, I haven't flown in seven weeks. Like, this is how crazy this is, guys. I haven't flown in seven weeks. So I've been chomping at the bit to get on the, out in the air and... I can't fly. But then I get a glorious text from my special guest tonight. And I was like, shoot, I got to ask if he wants to do a podcast tonight. And sure enough, our guest, Sam, is here today. And we're so excited to have him on the Ask the Av Geek show. So before I let Sam introduce himself, I'm just going to give a little quick introduction on how Sam and I, how we how kind of connected. And we really connected through my first Ask the Av Geek uh, guest Eli Malloy introduced me to Sam. I started following him, and I mean the kid seems to be living just a really really cool life. But he had a big dream, and he, he you were kind of following Eli, right? You I mean Eli kind of had? We'll get into a little bit of it. But Eli got me onto Sam, and I started watching him and just looking, just looking at him and how he wants to pursue his dreams and how he's doing it. Not only right now, but we were just talking and doing it at a speed that beats me and i thought i was doing mine fast so i'm super (laughs) super super excited uh to introduce to everyone sam and sam introduce to the avgeek chronicle world who are you what's what's your name where are you from uh and just who are you all right sounds good um my name is uh sam adams and i'm 28 years old and i currently officially live in Orlando, Florida, but currently I'm living in British Columbia, Canada, uh, doing my flight training at BC Helicopters in Abbotsford. You know that's literally going from warm to cold, right? You're getting it ready is. for the cold? It is, and I'm really surprised, but the, the climate here has actually been really nice. Today was, uh, I think, mid-60s when we got back to base after being out in the mountains. Last night was extremely cold. Are you guys were all, I saw that on Instagram. You all bundled up and everything. Yeah, we were cold. It, we were up at 5,300 feet, I think, and uh, it was really cold and the wind was blowing. So oh, it was uh, it was freezing. I, I didn't have a thermometer, so I have no idea how cold it was, but it was it was as cold as I've been in a long time. Well, I bet the cold doesn't freak you out too much because I bet you don't know this about me, but I know it about you. You're a hockey player. Yep, and I was a hockey player. I was a hockey player. I was a hockey coach. I still play, and I saw that, and I was like, "Oh my god, me and this kid are going to connect real fast." Because not only are we buffs about aviation, but we're both hockey players. And let me tell you, that's rare to find that kind of combination. Actually, it's funny because um, three of the instructors at BC Helicopters, myself and another student, are all playing hockey right now on a team. Oh, really? That doesn't uh, count. That's it, Canada. That's Canada. <laughs> so, that doesn't count. I got to so, tell you, I went, I went up to uh, Mirabelle, where our Bell facility is up there, and I started talking, and somebody heard me say hockey, and they're like, you play hockey? I said, yeah. They're like, oh, I play. He plays. 
they play. I'm like, what? Everybody plays in Canada. It's just a sport up there. Yeah, we got a we got a whole BC helicopters team right now. So you so guys got a all, team all, all together? Five of us. Yep. That's we play crazy. every Friday. That's nuts. That's so school. fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and the ice here is phenomenal compared to what I'm used to in Florida. The the ice in Florida is not very good, soft, and uh, it's like after they run the Zamboni, it seems like somebody's been skating on it for four hours. <laughs> so how, how long did you play? there's still puddles on the rink. I've played ever since I was little. Right. Uh, I grew up, grew up playing, um, played roller hockey a bunch because uh, that was really all we had in Florida. Um, but I played ice up until high school, uh, stopped playing for a bit in college, and then just this past year, I started getting back into it um, after not playing for about eight years. And it's been phenomenal. So exciting to get back into it. And uh, it's been great playing with the guys up here. We have an awesome league. Uh, it's a great level of play. Uh, no contact, but it's fast-paced, and uh, it, it's great. So it's, so keeping you, it's keeping you in flying shape then. Yeah, big time. <laughs> All right, well. So we all know everybody wants to hear, you know, what's this journey, uh, this journey that you're on. So before you started this journey that you're kind of on right now and kind of, you know, we'll get into this this drive, this cool drive that you made. What was life like for Sam uh, before you started this? What were you doing, you know, and really what was that turning point where you're like, I, you know, I'm not really doing what I'm enjoying. I'm going to go on this journey and chase my dreams. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily doing something that I didn't enjoy because uh, I did really enjoy it. And I still do enjoy uh, what I'm what I'm doing uh -huh. and have been doing for the past eight to 10 years. Um, but basically, I was working in the water sports industry, building cable wakeboarding parks. No, no way. Um, yeah. So uh, we've uh, I, I kind of grew up wakeboarding and boating and that sort of thing. And then um, eventually when I ended up going to college at uh, UCF in Orlando, Florida. I took an interest uh, at wakeboarding at the cable park there, uh, eventually got a job there, started working there, um, was pursuing an engineering degree at the time and thought, man, it would be so cool to combine my two passions of engineering and wakeboarding and start working in the cable water sports industry. So ended up getting a job and dropping out of college and actually pursuing that. Uh, that was around 2012 that I started, started doing that. Um, and then pretty much been building cable parks all around North America ever since. Oh, wow. So you traveled to do that then? Traveled a lot. Yeah. So life was hectic, super busy. I would spend um, a month or more usually at most of the jobs uh, on site building the cables. Um, I built a total of 15 full-size cable parks, which are the, which are the large parks uh -huh. that multiple pe people can ride the systems at a time. Um, Texas is actually a hotbed for those. Built a lot of parks in Texas. I was going to say, did you do the uh, the BSR one? I didn't do the BSR one. No, that was our competitor. Oh, okay. They did that one, but I I did uh, Hangar Nine in Houston, um, Hydras Little Elm, and Lake near Lake Louisville, mm -hmm. uh, uh, north of Dallas there. Yep. Um, built some in California, built uh, a couple in Georgia, South Carolina, all over. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So, you know, it's funny because not only do we play, 
you play hockey, I play hockey. You're now in aviation. I'm in aviation. But you went to UCF, and my football team stole your football team's coach. But <laughs> we're we're really sucking it up right now. Yes, I'm a Cornhusker, <laughs> if anybody didn't know that. And, yes, Scott Frost came home to his hometown. But he did. An un- were you there in his time, or were, was that uh, after your time? I, w- I was – I left UCF, I think, in the first year that they had a football team. I okay. believe it was the first season, um, and uh, <laughs> it was everyone was pretty against it uh, at first. Uh, but now they've gotten a huge following, and everyone They're is incredible. super supportive. They're incredible, and it, I think they haven't. It's pretty cool to see that they've won every game this year so far. I think too, which is just stunning. Um, all right, so. So you grew up in Florida and, you know, after school, you know, you're doing all these cable parks and whatnot. But talk to us about your childhood. You know, what was your childhood like? What kind of hobbies were you into as a kid, you know, including hockey and whatnot? What else? Uh, And then just other things that kind of made you you as you were growing up. Yeah. So as a kid, I was definitely big into water sports. Uh, As long as I remember, we've my family's always had a boat. And we've had access to lakes and stuff. So we're always in the water, always boating and wakeboarding and skiing. And that was a huge part of my childhood and something I definitely uh, love. So that was really fun. And since we were always around water, um, my dad bought me RC boats pretty much every Christmas I can remember. So I was always into RC boats and cars and always wanted an RC airplane or helicopter, but 10, 15 years ago, RC planes were incredibly expensive and hard to maintain. And I I think my dad did me a huge favor for not getting me into the hobby of that (laughs) too soon because it would have been an arm and a leg for him and then eventually for me. But um, I was always taking things apart in the garage and building weird stuff and driving go-karts and outside building forts and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's those things, you know, it's funny cause I have a guy, he lives probably, I would say probably two blocks away from me and he goes to the park literally like four times a week and he's got this little F 22, uh, remote control plane. And I tell you, this thing is the most annoying. It beats out. A dr- <laughs> it beats out. A, I mean, I can literally hear this thing through my house on this high pitched squeal. It is so annoying. <laughs> but he flies the thing but yeah I, I can only imagine if you crash those things or whatever you do to them i can just imagine how expensive they are to you know build back up and to uh yeah to maintain nowadays it's not as bad uh so i guess probably three or four years ago my good friend nick and i went to the hobby store and we bought uh our first uh rc planes oh, wow. we both always wanted to fly yeah. so we took him to the field and pretty much crashed him in 10 minutes and then went back to the store and bought him again and then <laughs> <laughs> flew those and crashed those in probably 30 minutes. And then there were days where like, uh, I think I can remember probably two or three weeks after we, you know, started teaching ourselves to fly RC planes, we both came home with working planes. And that was like the milestone for us. We actually went to the field, 
flew our RC planes and brought them home in one piece. It, it's like being uh, a good, it's like being a good pilot, right? Like, woo-hoo, I just, I just did my first solo. I brought it back in one piece. Thank yeah. Jesus. So, so we, we, we were doing that. And then obviously this was probably around the time that drones were coming out. So my friend Nick and I were big into, um, drones and building our own drones. And, uh, so yeah, always been huge in RC, but, but never really, uh, never really uh the aviation actual aviation side of it yeah just a big interest in it and never really thought that um i could do it i just uh thought maybe one day but that one day came a lot sooner than i expected so it came a lot sooner than you were expected and you know you have the dream i know everybody's dying to know tell us about this amazing journey that you're on right now and and where did it start because i know it included a car ride too Yes, it did actually. So, um, actually, I think it was around January of this year. Um, I had already been following Eli, which we both know. And the reason I started following Eli was because he was actually doing tours in R44 at BSR. So I follow BSR on Instagram and, uh, I had seen a bunch of other wakeboarders and some people that I knew were flying with Eli and, you know, doing tours around BSR. And I thought that was really cool. So I gave Eli a follow and this was probably maybe two years ago. I'm not sure when he was exactly doing those first initial tours at BSR, but that was around the time that I followed Eli. Um, And I'd always seen Eli doing really cool stuff on Instagram, obviously, you Uh know, and, uh, so I was, I was riding in the car and I was in a little bit of traffic and I was just scrolling through Instagram and I saw this picture that Eli had posted of him standing in front of that R44. And I just kind of had this like moment where I just thought, man, like I should look into learning to fly. And it just hit me like that. It was just an instant reaction to that photo. And I just, it was something I always wanted to do eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always thought, you know, eventually meant, you know, basically make enough money in my career to be able to afford it, to do it for fun. And, you know, I just kind of sat there and thought, man, why not just now? And uh, that was kind of the aha moment. And uh, I I just kind of had that feeling. So I started, that feeling started coming up more and more and more. And, uh, I was telling one of my good friends about that feeling and, uh, I was explaining to them that, you know, I don't, I don't know why I want to do this, but I do know something that it could be from. And, uh, and so I started to elaborate on that story for her and basically it involves, um, something that had happened to my mom about five years before I was born. Uh, so in, uh, 1985, which was five years before I was born, my mom was flying for life flight helicopters in Toledo, Ohio as a flight nurse. Uh, so she and wasn't a pilot. She, she was a nope. vaccine nurse. Okay. Okay. Yep. She was a vaccine awesome. nurse on, on life flight. And, uh, in, uh, December of 1985, she was out on a call. It was about three or four in the morning. And they were out in a call and they ran into some heavy fog 
and uh, the pilot made the decision to turn around to base. And unfortunately, he lost reference and ended up going down in some trees. Oh, no. And um, my mom was actually the only one to survive that crash. Seriously? Yeah. So I had known this, and I've known this story my whole life. And uh, it's always been something that I've reminded myself of anytime I'm going through a rough time or, you know, something's not lining up. And it's just like, man, this is not what I expected. I just kind of think to myself, you know, I'm lucky to even be alive Mm -hmm. because if mom didn't survive that crash, I wouldn't exist. And uh, it's just something that's been really powerful in my life to reference. And uh, so I kind of expressed that to my friend and uh, they didn't believe me naturally. Uh, So I was like, here, I'll, I'll show you the article uh, that my, uh, about my mom's crash. Uh, So I looked up the article on an archived news site and I read through the article briefly and then I sent the link to my friend. And then at the very end of the article, I saw that there was a comment section where you could log into Facebook and leave a comment. And I started reading one of the comments and I saw this comment that said, um, I'm looking for the flight nurse, Julie Miller. I am the daughter of the pilot, John, who died in the crash. And at that moment, I was just shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I was just stunned. Um, So I called my sister and I told her exactly what happened. And I asked her if she thought that I should uh, tell my mom. And uh, and she thought so. So I I reached out, told my mom. And then... uh, I also uh, reached out to uh, the person who left the comment. And uh, a few days later, she ended up responding to my message on Facebook. And I ended up connecting my mom and her. And they were able to finally talk after all these years and kind of, you know, bridge these connections that have, uh, you know, not, not, not existed over the past so many years and uh it, it was really interesting for both of them to kind of have that moment and you know, they ended up talking for two or three hours on the phone and that, it was it's pretty incredible you it, it's funny because every time i talk to somebody uh on the podcast i i want to say it was in one of my first few episodes it was how do i was talking about how to connect with other people and i was saying how powerful social media is in connecting with people you just you know you just saw that you connected with Eli through social media by something that you know you saw that he was doing and it sparked something in you and then you know your mom and that daughter were able you know everything kind of culminated through via Facebook and it's just proving time and time again that if you need to connect with people or you want to connect with people in a way that's important the power of social media is is incredible nowadays it really is. It, it blows me away every time I think about it. Um, it's just incredible. Um, and, and basically, at that moment, I had a really strong feeling like, man, this is something that I need to do and I, I want to do. Um, so from from that moment on, it was it was game on. And that was February of this year. 
So your mom, so, did your mom still have a lot to do with your interest in it, or was it because you kind of knew that she was in the helicopter world, and then this culminated with, uh, you know, of course, with your connection with Eli, and it kind of just comes full circle. Um, what kind of part did your did your mother play in you know this decision? Um, well, I was uh, I was super scared. I mean, I, I still am scared. I have a, a deep respect for helicopters and aviation because you know it, it's an incredibly dangerous machine, and if you um, get into a situation um, that you can't come out of, it, it can happen really easily and really quickly. So I have a, a extreme deep respect for that. Um, so. You know, I was I was extremely scared to to really commit to this and do this because, you know, I was I was worried that you know if something were to happen uh, and I were to go down, that you know my mom would be really upset mm-hmm. um, and a lot of other people as well. Um, but I knew that it it was something that was drawing me really strongly, and I never felt something draw me that strongly before, um, and then. I also had never heard a story that had really moved me as much as that. Um, and there's a lot more to the story that, you know, the, the intricate details of all of it, that's, you know, the really short condensed version. But mm-hmm. I knew that that story was something that was extremely powerful and that could allow people to really understand what it takes to, you know, really follow something you're passionate about in a really direct way. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's crazy because not, you know, some people that don't make it through not just helicopter training but through flight training, I mean, a piece of it is they kind of, you know, it's they, they don't have full respect for the machine, for the sky, uh, for everything that kind of surrounds it. And, I mean, I know exactly what you mean, you know, that in a split second like that, I mean, I don't know if you saw it. I think it was it made its rounds through Facebook. I think it made its way through Instagram, but it was oh man, it was here in the U.S. I want to say it was in the South somewhere. I want to say it was like a Bell two hundred six or something. Um, they were doing like an engine run on it, and it was on it was a police helicopter. They were doing it on a dolly, and they were doing the engine run, and all of a sudden it like picked up, and. There was yeah, not a, there, there was not a pilot inside. It was a maintenance guy, and it just ended terribly. But the situation that I'm getting to is tonight. You know, Eli, we're sitting there, and he, I'm, you know, I was like, "Do you need any help?" He's like, "Yeah, how about you start the aircraft for me?" I'm like, "Are you shitting me right now, Eli? I don't know how to start this <laughs> damn thing." He goes, "No, no, no." I'll, he goes, no, "No, no, 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 no. I'll walk you through it. You're a pilot, you know." And I was like, "All right, well, here's my first lesson. Here we go." And literally, split second, I'm like oh my god this video is just in the back of my mind so literally as he's talking i'm like pushing down on this stupid collective in the r44 (laughs) you know he's walking me through this and i'm like dude am i doing it right am i doing it right he goes yeah and then i tell him like man i'm just like literally thinking this stuff but no it's crazy if you have a deep respect for these machines for aviation in general i you know it already puts you on a path of of being a safe pilot and being able to kind of achieve uh achieve your dream but i kind of want to go back to uh to the story earlier of kind of how this this journey kind of started so tell me about this crazy road trip that you pretty much made 
if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was all the way from Florida to British Columbia. Yep, that's exactly right. Fill I, us in I, on I, that. Where did you stop and everything? So I, I think it was something around probably I mean the Google Maps said it was sixty one hours of driving, but it it definitely was more than that because I kinda you know, drove around and went out of my way a few times to to visit people and see different things. So first place was uh, actually taking a flight with Eli in Dallas. Uh, actually ended up spending a day and a half in, or in Fort Worth with Dallas. Or, I'm sorry. And that's when we were <laughs> supposed to first do the Eli. podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always say Dallas is Fort Worth, but I know that they are two different places. They're, they're pretty much... Uh, yeah, they're two different places. I've lived, <laughs> I've lived in both Dallas and Fort Worth. I prefer Dallas. My wife prefers Fort Worth. Our house is in Fort Worth, so I have to. I, I got to deal with it. Um, but cool. So it, it ended in British Columbia, uh, yep. and now you're you're on this this fun journey. Basically, a journey that you know I I talked about in earlier in the podcast, earlier in my podcast, uh, you know, a few episodes back. That you know, it's less than one percent of the population is pilots, but that's fixed wing pilots, which is a lot easier to get. And I have a super crazy respect be- for helicopter pilots because it it's like it's like one percent of the one percent is then becomes helicopter pilots. So, describe to us kind of this process that you're going through, um, you know, behind becoming a helicopter pilot, and how are you doing it? Because you're up in Canada, which is a little bit different than the FAA. So kind of tell us the process that you're going through, which probably was different than the process that Eli went through, who was on the show a few episodes back. Yeah, so one of the things I I was really important to me was was training in a really diverse environment um, and making sure that I was kind of pushing myself and my abilities and the abilities of the helicopter to its limit. Um, And that's something that we can do here um, in British Columbia that I could never have done in Florida. Um, We don't have mountains in Florida. I think the highest hill in Florida is like 300 feet or something. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and the elevation of the Abbotsford airport where we're flying out of is like 194 feet. Uh, so that's <laughs> two thirds of the way up to the highest elevation uh-huh. in Florida already at base. Um, but it's a really great environment because we can go, um, we have every type of terrain. We have, uh, oceans, rivers, valleys, mountains, um, and it's just an incredible area and s- playground really um to train in um so i've been doing advanced mountain flying and you know pretty much pushing my comfort level every single flight with an instructor um and i just i'm blown away when i come back from these flights of of what we're doing and what i'm seeing and i just kind of constantly think to myself like there's no way i could gain this type of experience this quickly in um area without terrain so remind me how many hours do you have again 21 or 24.1 right you, now you probably have more experience in that 24.1 hours than probably a student in the united states probably experiences in their whole private really yeah and of that 24.1 hours i think i've only spent about 
1.5 of that in the infield of the airport. Uh-huh. The rest of it has just been out of the control zone, in the river, up the mountains, valleys, you name it. I mean, there's so many cool places that we have accessible to us in such a short period of time. Um, and it's truly incredible. Like I love flying here and, uh, every, all of my fellow students love it as well. It's, it's great. So you're going through the pilot training, um, and you're doing it the Canadian, the Canadian route. So when you're done with this, what do you ultimately want to do in the rotorcraft world? What is, what is your goal? Do you want to do EMS flying? Do you want to do oil field flying or, you know, go work for one of the, what do you want to do, uh, in the space? That's something that changes daily. I think, uh, right now, um, I definitely want to eventually become an instructor. Uh Um, but I also want to gain some real world experience before I become an instructor. Um, just so I can get a deeper understanding of practical real world examples Mm -hmm. uh, of the things that I'm learning. Um, I think it's great to be able to teach those examples, but I think it's even better if you know why you're teaching those examples. So for me, it, it will be important to work in the industry for some time and develop those skills on my own so I can, you know, become a, a proficient instructor Um, but as far as what I specifically want to do, I'm not sure. Um, I'd really like to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know, I I really like how you said that, you know, I want to go get real world experience because then when I come back as an instructor, basically you're saying I'm going to be able to provide more value to a student than somebody who's just going through, uh, you know, all the, all the ratings, you know, basically like we would on the fixed wing world, basically from your private all the way to your CFI. And I have a lot of respect for that because that was kind of one of the things with me when I'm going through my training. I chose an instructor who was older because I knew there was going to be more experience there instead of going through, you know, one of the schools here in town who they might, you know, the CFI might be 21 years old. You know, he's there to build his hours and he's going to scoot to the airlines, but he's got no real world experience when it comes to flying. Like, none. right. Uh, so I, I think that's really important. And not saying that people can't be great instructors without that. Oh, it's just no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want to be able to have. And I know that with my personality and how I operate, that's how I'll be the most effective. Because um, I'm, I'm really not good at BSing my way through certain things. So <laughs> I need to know exactly. what's really going on exactly. in order for me to effectively teach that. It's all, you know, in flying, it's all about the respect of truth, right? Because there's no, there's no lying in aviation. If you lie, you're going to get your butt kicked. That's for sure. So I want to kind of take, you know, I want to take it back. Okay. So we have, you know, British Columbia um, and you're out here. I mean, you're just killing it and you're moving through the process in my book fast. But, you know, I want to know who had the biggest impact on you when you start, you know, first started getting into you know to flying i would have to say that's probably misha gelb my instructor currently okay uh, misha has a youtube channel um and has so much um amazing content on his channel from every aspect of helicopter flying and he was one of the first 
uh, people that I was able to find on YouTube that had such an amazing resource and look into what it's like to learn to fly helicopters. So when I came up with this idea in my head that, you know, I wanted to try this and looking online for resources and everything I could to try to figure out how am I going to do this and, and why do I want to do this and what is it going to be like? His videos were the first ones to pop up. So I watched his videos religiously and I knew right then that that is, you know, where I wanted to go and who I wanted to train with. So did you ever, you know, because like me, okay, so I work for a rotorcraft OEM, um, but I'm a fixed-wing pilot. Did you ever think when you started getting that aviation bug about the fixed-wing world, or were you straight gung-ho for rotorwing? I was straight gung-ho for helicopters, yeah. for sure. I definitely... Um, something that I wanted to do specifically. Um, that being said, I definitely have a pretty large interest in, in fixed wing as well. And uh -huh. in the future, I think I definitely would get my add on for fixed wing, um, eventually. And so basically you met, you know, the first time you ever saw your instructor basically was through the social web via, via YouTube and all the great content that he was put, putting out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I watched a bunch of his videos religiously, um, and was was pretty impressed with his knowledge and what he was producing on YouTube at the time. This was in February of 2018, and at the time he had around 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. I distinctively remember that, and I was just thinking to myself, "Man, why does this guy not have more subscribers? His content is amazing. You know, his knowledge is incredible." Um, and, uh, and in the past, uh, few months, uh, he's actually doubled almost he's to 29,000. I think he's oh, about wow. to hit 30 K. Uh, so since February of 2018, he's almost doubled. And, uh, I guess it's the end of September now, almost October. Um, so that's a pretty fast growth rate. Um, so yeah, pretty impressive. And then from there, I sent Misha an email and basically told him about my story, told him, you know, that I wanted to learn to fly helicopters and that I'd like to talk to him. And he emailed me back right away, gave me his phone number and I called him the next day. We talked on the phone for about an hour or two hours and, and, you know, encouraged me to take an intro flight, um, and highly recommended the Cabri. G2. And so after that phone call, I looked up uh, some flight schools and I found a flight school in uh, Winter Haven, which is about an hour south of Orlando, Florida, Heli Center Aviation. Oh, yeah. And they have a Cabri. So I, I booked an intro flight with them uh, that next week and went down there and flew with them and just fell in love with it instantly. So and again, you, you got it through the YouTube, and, and I think we're just proving time and time again when you when you put good stuff out and you document it and you are able to connect with people, good things, good things can happen. We got Facebook, we got Instagram, and now we've hit YouTube. So I'm dying to know. Okay, so you're releasing stuff. Are you releasing stuff on YouTube, or are you guys kind of doing it together? Are you starting your own channel now? Yeah, so I have my own channel, and then Misha and I also have a new series 
that he's documenting on his channel, which is basically my entire training from start to finish. Which, okay, um, this is, and this was perfectly on the question that I wanted to answer. Um, because, like you said, I don't, I don't think too many people do this. And I tried to do it by myself. It, you know, it gets really, really tough. So I think you guys are, you guys are going to be able to do some phenomenal stuff uh, working um, together. But kind of what is the goal of you guys, you know, you releasing your stuff on your brand new channel, which we'll get, uh, we'll get some information out here towards the end of the show. Uh, but then you two working together, kind of what's that end goal of sharing and documenting this whole experience? Well, when I first met Misha and went up and did an intro flight last, it was around the end of April of 20, 2018. Um, I had kind of talked to him about his channel and what his goals were and, and why he started a YouTube channel and, and what that was like. Cause it was something that I was really interested in doing, um, and, and, and wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, I knew that he was going to be receptive of me filming in the cockpit and editing videos and allowing the, the time necessary to do that because it's not as easy as just turning on the GoPro and rolling. There's a lot that goes into it. It takes a lot more time. We, you know, get have to dedicate time to it before we fly in the pre-flight, setting up all the cameras, setting up the audio recorder, redoing audio, redoing video, downloading the footage, charging the GoPros. There's so much that goes into it. And to the person who's not receptive to that idea of, um, of you know, going through all that effort, I knew that it would cause conflict and be an issue. But I knew that because Misha was already doing this and was very receptive to the idea of this, that he would be very willing to allow me to, to document this. So when, when we started talking after flying with him for the first time in April, I kind of pitched this idea that I wanted to document my entire training. Um, and Misha was like, hey, you know, what do you think if I vlog it on my channel and document it as well and you can you can do your channel, but I'd really like to, you know, go from start to finish. And I was like, man, I really think that's a great idea because if I were able to watch these videos, I, you know, would have had so much deeper understanding of what it's going to take to be here right now. And these are the videos that I would wanted to have seen last January it's when I was first younger, interested in aviation. So it's incredibly powerful and we're already seeing the response to that the response has been really positive and people are really enjoying the videos and it just it goes to show like how powerful it is and and we're really excited uh to continue doing it it's been a lot of fun and uh we've been you know dedicating a lot of time to it so we're we're happy that people are really enjoying it do you guys see through documenting the whole journey and setting everything up do you guys you know, is it is it hard sometimes to to keep it natural or, you know, because sometimes things have to be redone. But are you guys trying to keep it as natural as possible so you get that natural feel to somebody who's going to consume that end content? Yeah, we really do try to keep it authentic and real as much as possible. And uh, we, we have had some issues here and there with the GoPros not recording audio and the recorder not working and the connect cables not being connected properly. But we've had uh, time to kind of iron out the kinks and we've kind of worked out a, a way that we do it. And basically what I, what I do is I set up all the cameras, I set up all the audio in the cockpit 
and then I pre-flight the aircraft. And then when we're ready to go, Misha jumps in, we turn on the GoPros and start to fly. And while we're in flight, Misha pretty much controls the GoPros and I just focus on flying. Um, and he'll either turn on the front GoPro or turn on the rear GoPro and just start recording. Half the time, I don't even know he's recording. Um, <laughs> I'm just so focused on, on flying. flying. Yeah. Um, and we, we try to do an intro and an outro every video. So when we're flying out of the zone, he'll turn on the front GoPro. That's the easiest one for me to see because it's, it's literally in front of me. Uh-huh. Um, but the rear one, I never know when it's on. Uh, so I'm always kind of surprised to, to see what we actually get when we get back from flight. And it definitely is super real. Um, I, I will say that um, the stabilization on the GoPros makes me look like a better pilot than I actually am. <laughs> uh, so I, I've gotten a few messages from people, you know, saying, oh, man, I'm so discouraged about my flight today. Like your progress is incredible. You're flying so good. But man, like the stabilization on the Hero 6 is incredible and it makes me look like I'm flying so much smoother than I actually am. Uh, so I, I, I would, I would definitely encourage people to, you know, not get, not get discouraged, discouraged and don't judge yourself on other people's flying. Um, we all have good days and bad days. I've definitely had a few bad days and, uh, it's, it's just really, uh, you know, a tough thing to continuously subject yourself to. Um, and you just have to keep positive and re- remind yourself that there's a reason that you're going through the training. And there's a reason that you have to do so many hours of flight training to be able to fly these aircraft. They're not easy aircraft to fly. And once you learn to actually fly them, there's so many things that you're going to learn. And Misha tells me time and time again, even in his 8,000 hours plus of flight experience, that he learns something new every single day. Um, so it's a constant learning experience and you just, you can't let yourself to get discouraged because you have one bad flight. So he's got that many hours. How old is he? I think Misha is about 10 years older than me. That is incredible. I'm not, I'm not sure his actual age. That's incredible. Um, I mean, so he's not, yeah. he's not that old. He's got that man. That is just, that's crazy. That's yep. Crazy. He, he actually just got back from flying around the world. In a a helicopter. I'm not sure if you followed the epic trip, but um, Misha and Ruben Diaz, they flew around the world in R66 and broke two world records. Oh, wow. You know, it's crazy. There are so many, now that with the helicopters, now that they're getting better, avionics are getting better, you know, there's been more and more people attempting that. What just recently we had a 407, I want to say from like, I want to say, yeah, 407 GXP from Russia, maybe. I know it was a 407, can't, I want to say GXP, uh, yeah, did a whole globe trip from Russia, um, and then we had the Canadian 429, part of the Canadian 150, um, they did a around the world flight too, and it's just, I honestly think it's pretty incredible that these people, you know, these pilots are, are willing to, to do that in just these machines that aren't meant to do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's they uh they really uh had a time getting around the world in that helicopter it was really cool to see misha actually documented that all on his channel as well oh, wow. uh, so if any of you guys are interested in checking that out i can't recommend it enough he literally vlogged every single day around the world in r66 um what's his youtube and, channel uh, what, how can we uh how can we get to uh, your instructor's youtube channel 
Pilot Yellow. Pilot Yellow. Yep. All right, cool. So one of the things that I noticed, you know, from the way, you know, that you, you, you kind of, that you came up um, from school to your job to, to reaching out to your, you know, reaching out for your dreams uh, and the way that you connected with Misha and just how you saw everything in him, it tells me that, I mean, you got a lot of values yourself. So what are the values that you live, uh, you know, that you live day to day and how do they show up day to day? Well, I think it's, I think it's really important to have, have an impact, um, and, and really, you know, have a, a legacy that you can kind of live off of. Cause it's, to me, it's really important to, to impact people's lives in a positive way. Um, and, and that's something that I, you know, hope to aim to continue to do with, with my YouTube channel and, and, and my future careers, whatever that might be. Um, and uh, it's something that is really important to me. So what personal, you know, from the start of this journey, you know, all the way back to Orlando to where you are right now, what hurdles have you personally faced, you know, in this aviation world? Or maybe, you know, maybe just in life in that, you know, you haven't shared yet. Uh, and maybe there are some things that you don't want to share, but the ones that you'd like to share. How have you overcome both those hurdles in life uh, and aviation? I would say the the financial aspect of training to fly helicopters or even airplanes is is a huge hurdle. Oh, it's a huge um, for everybody. I mean, it's huge. It, it's massive, and, and it's something I continually think about every single day, every single flight. Um, just like this is a lot of money, and this is uh, you know the most money I've ever spent on anything. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a very fancy person. I don't have, you know, terribly fancy things. Uh, but it's funny cause me and my classmates were talking last night out in the woods about, you know, how expensive the training is and it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but we were basically joking that you could go to Best Buy and buy the biggest TV you wanted every single week and it would still be cheaper than flying helicopters. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but we're, you know, it's, it's going to be worth it. And, um, the, uh, the training that I'm receiving is top notch. Um, the environment we're training in is top notch. The helicopters we're training are top notch. Um, so it's incredibly worth it to me. Um, and, uh, and it's something that I think you, you really have to be careful about when you do want to train is make sure you pick a good flight school and have a good relationship with your instructor and, um, if it's not a good experience, then I think you, you should really reevaluate that. And it, it really, you know, I, when I went through it and, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going the whole, you know, I've only had my, you know, private pilot's license here for a few months and I'm thinking about, uh, when I'll, in, uh, start the instrument rating, but it's the financial thing is such a huge burden. And it's actually one of the things, you know, why I started this podcast, you know, why Eli and I, we're always talking, uh, you know, about, know how you know what are some creative ways down the road that you can set some type of program program up to make it you know financially stable for people to come up who wouldn't be able to come up into the aviation world but the financial hurdle is one of the biggest ones but it's something that i've learned you know it's like through college right like i had a student loan you know i know a lot of my friends who have student loans and, and the way i look at it is i'm paying back that student loan and 
I'm not so sure if it was 100% worth it, but I can tell you flat out that my flight training, even just my private flight training, was 100% worth it. And that, just getting a private, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm assuming you feel the same way, is you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much that you didn't know about yourself (coughs) excuse me and i mean you just learn so much about nature and the respect for nature the respect for machine uh and the respect for the decisions that you make and i felt like i learned so much more in you know eight months of doing you know fixed wing flight training than i probably learned in the last 10 years yeah absolutely it's so true and i mean you're just held accountable at such a high level um every single day and it's just, uh, it really, you know, teaches you to shape up, I would say, you know, and, uh, and tighten things up. And especially when you start going solo in the aircraft and you are solely responsible for that aircraft and yourself in that aircraft and the safety of other people around you in that aircraft, um, it really, you know, puts a different mindset in your head of, you know, your responsibility And then when you come back from that and you're successful in what you are trying to accomplish, it's such a huge, um, a huge confidence booster for yourself. And my instructor, as well as the other instructors are always, you know, explaining to us that it's, it's largely about having confidence that you can do it, being confident that you can land the aircraft, being confident that you can hover the aircraft, because that confidence is what's going to keep you cool in a situation that gets a little out of hand. Yeah. And I, I can't stress confidence enough. Cause I mean, just like you said, I mean, I was walking today as I was getting to the FBO at the airports and I, I mean, I haven't flown in seven weeks. That's a lot for somebody like me who's relatively a new pilot, but getting in, it was like everything so far in the, you know, as long as you follow all your checklists and everything, it felt second nature because I had that confidence. I wasn't worried that I was like, you know, that almost had a currency um, or whatnot. But I knew deep down that I had the confidence that, hey, we're going to go out and do a night flight tonight. We're going to go do get our night currency and everything's going to be cool. But you have to tell yourself, you know, and you have to feel that that confidence in you. Because I've learned and I've seen it from other people that if you're flying with no confidence, that's when mistakes can happen. 100%. And it's having those checklists and having those systematic approaches to different aspects of flying that really keep things in control um and it's something that you can kind of apply to a lot of other things in your life that aren't related to flying and can be really powerful oh i mean that the things that i've learned in aviation so far i've been able to apply them just in real life i mean it's it's really really incredible but you're achieving you know a big dream right now you know all of us young kids that got into aviation have really really achieved our dreams and, you know, been a part of this one percenters in, in aviation. So what, you know, what and why do you believe, you know, what are the most common reasons for people like us, young people that are failing or giving up on their dreams? Why do you think that's happening? I think a large portion of that is probably complacency um, and just becoming complacent with your situation or what you've been uh, given and I, I think being complacent is, is really dangerous um, because 
kind of what I've said a, a few times is that it's not so much learning to fly as it is, you know, going through this experience and seeing what's possible. And, you know, really, I believe that if you set out to do something and you're really specific, you can almost achieve anything in this day and age. Uh, and I know that's kind of broad, but the reality is if, if you want it bad enough, you can, you can figure out a way to do it. Um, and I think that's kind of really what's important is kind of seeing what's possible because you can achieve almost anything, but you can't achieve anything if you just stay in one place. Do you feel any sense, you know, because Eli and I, Eli and I were talking about this, but do you feel that there's kind of a sense that people, you know, they, they compare themselves to a lot, you know, a lot of other people and they try to do things that, you know, they're jealous of other people, you know, and they're looking on social media and all these things and they're like, man, I want to do that. And then they try it and then they fail and they get down on themselves when in all reality, they didn't really want to do that in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think social media can be really dangerous. Um, and it's something that I really try to be careful about. Um, and, and I definitely, you know, don't want people to, you know, compare themselves to my flying ability at a certain level versus their flying ability at a certain level. Uh, the reality is, if you go through the training and and you listen to your instructor and you do what you're told, you're going to end up being a good pilot. But flying ability is such a small percentage of what's required of a pilot. Um, you need to be good at so much more than just being able to hover that aircraft or being able to do a perfect approach or a perfect departure. Um, you know, being a good pilot is crucial, but it's not the whole package you you have to you know have good people skills you have to be able to relate to people you have to you know be on time and have good time management there's so much more than just being able to hover in one place um so i, I think it's really dangerous to to compare yourself to other people um when in reality you're probably doing just as good or maybe you're better at certain things than i am or other people and everyone has their you know, things they're good at and things they're not good at. So, so what do you think are some specific roadblocks, um, you know, that not only you, maybe you've hit them already, but other, other kids that might be young, you know, just starting out as well. And those roadblocks that they have to watch out for as they gain experience, uh, in aviation, whether they go the fixed wing route or the rotoring route. Well, I would say, with flying helicopters, you definitely come back after some flights and you just kind of have this feeling of completely being overwhelmed with what you just experienced. Like there's so many things being thrown at you and, and so many things you have to watch out for. And you basically feel in the beginning, like you're just making every mistake possible. And that if your instructor wasn't with you, that you would not have been able to successfully bring the aircraft back to base. Um, and just remembering that, you know, there's a reason you have to train for so many hours to be in control of the aircraft. 
And there's a reason that you're going through this training. That's why you're there. That's why you're there. You're there to learn and to figure it out. And your instructor is there to throw you curveballs and put you in situations that you're not comfortable with because um, they're there and they can fix it if you're not able to. And they're not expecting you to be able to just hover the aircraft on its first try or shoot the perfect approach on your first try. And obviously, they're going to tell you what you're doing wrong because you need to be aware of those things. But that doesn't mean that you won't be able to eventually learn and figure out how to do that the right way and become the best pilot that you can. So, you know, kids are thinking about flying and, you know, they're following people like you. They're following people like me. They're following people like Eli. And they're, they're following all these young kids that are achieving, you know, achieving their dreams, following their dreams, doing what they want to do here in the aviation world. So far, you know, and I think you're a really good person to ask this, but what do you think are some resources out there that you believe are really, really good that, you know, the younger generation can take advantage of, just like maybe you did and that I did, if they have this passion, whether they want to fly on the fixed wing side or whether they want to fly helicopters? I think one of the biggest things you can do is try to connect in a meaningful way with people like myself, people like Eli, people like you, people like Misha, and really try to provide, you know, a good connection and start networking early. So people know who you are, know what you want to do and how you want to achieve it. Um, because, having those relationships and networking is going to be, you know, so powerful when you're done with your training because anybody can pay whatever amount they want to go to flight school and become a pilot. And once you're done with that, you need to actually continue on. And if you already have those connections, you're already building those connections, you know, before you start training to fly, then you're going to be so much more ahead of everyone else who's getting, you know, dropped off with their commercial pilot license and say, Hey, I'm ready to work in this industry, but I don't know anybody in the industry. So what do you say? To, I mean, you reached out to Eli and you know, you followed him and everything. So you did it right. So what are some tips, you know, if they do want to connect, you know, how do they reach out to these people? It's obvious social media is a great place. You know, what do they say to somebody like you or I or Misha you know, if they're, if they're interested, I mean, how, what's the best way just to, I mean, I would say, Hey, just send me a DM and then let's talk. I mean, I'm, I'll talk to anybody, but you know, is it just saying, Hey, just DM somebody or just message somebody? Yeah. I mean, we have that at our fingertips. I mean, you can, you can DM almost anybody, whether or not they'll reply or not is another story, but we literally have access to almost anyone who has a social media account, um, which, you know, a few years ago wasn't possible. Um, so, you know, I, I sent Misha a message on, on Gmail, uh, from getting his email address from his YouTube channel. I sent, uh, Eli a DM on Instagram and, and he got back to me. And I think the, the most important thing you can do is kind of listen to their story. And let them tell you what they did and what they think is important. Because people are way more interested in talking about what they did and how they think you should do it than you telling them what 
you want to do and what they should have done. That's, that's not going to work. But if you genuinely take an interest in their story and, and what they have to offer, I think that's, that's really powerful because people love to tell their story. I love to tell my story and I know Eli likes to tell his story and Misha does as well. So reaching out and, and asking for advice and, and tips like that is a, is a really powerful networking tool. And I, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even say how much I completely agree with you. And I think it's just, you know, if I could tell all these young kids out there, you know, that are just thinking about it, I would say, if you find somebody in the aviation world that you like, that you dig, you know, whatever the term that you want to use, just say hello, introduce yourself and just ask them about their story and how they started. Because like I, you know, I get into, you know, kind of this topic in all the uh, Ask the Avenue shows is kind of once you start in this community and you devote yourself to it, it's like everybody is friends. You know, I ran into, I mean, Eli and I, you know, we're friends because of pilot, you know, being pilots, but granted, we worked with each other um, for an aviation business. You know, we've connected because you're a pilot. I've connected with some other folks on the podcast because we're pilots and it's so easy to talk to, even though they never knew me. And it's just like, it's, it's a one big, it's one big community that I think they just, everybody wants to further the industry, further the passion um, of aviation. The only way to do that is to really build up and lift up this community. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So if you could send yourself a message, you know, think back 10 years ago to a, a younger a younger Sammy. What would you tell that younger individual? Uh, document document everything. I think it's really cool to be able to um, reference back to video clips or audio recordings or photos and documenting the process is something that I didn't do enough of and I wish I did more. Uh, I really wish that I would have recorded my first phone call with Misha and with Eli uh, and and filmed more of my first intro flight. Um, I did film my intro flight with a GoPro, but it didn't have any audio because I didn't know how to do cockpit audio. Um, do you end up buying asked... that cable? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have the full setup now. I got basically a an audio cable, uh, an audio recorder that adjusts the levels. And then from there, we split it out and go into both GoPros simultaneously. Oh, wow. So that's nice. we have a pretty sophisticated system. You do. That's way, way more sophisticated than my system. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wish I would have asked sooner, uh, how do you do cockpit audio? How do you record to a GoPro? Um, I looked it up, but you know, it didn't really get a affirmative answer. Didn't know what kind of helicopter cables was in the cabri versus the r44 and really it just would have been a simple question to ask eli or misha and i just didn't um but i i I should have done that um and and i think that's so powerful now especially with my own youtube channel to be able to reference back old clips when i was first getting started is, is really cool i do have one really cool clip that's in my first uh video that i put on my youtube channel of my intro flight with Misha after we had flown for about 45 minutes heading back into Abbotsford. Uh, and it's a short 
60 second clip of us flying together, which is really cool and was really cool to put in my first video, but I really wish I could have done more. I think it would have been really cool to include some of Misha's phone conversation with myself um, from last February and as well as um, Eli's phone conversation. Um, we, we had a great phone conversation that was probably two or three hours uh, on the phone late at night. And uh, I barely remember what we talked about, but I know it was a really great conversation. I mean, w when you have the passion for something, it's just amazing. You know, it's like, it's like we end, we only, when I, when I met Eli tonight at the airport, what was only supposed to be a five, 10 minute conversation ended up being a 30 minute conversation. And then him going through, you know, teaching me the start sequence in an R44 because he needed to clean the windshield. And it's just, I mean, it's when you have connections with people, I mean, it's pretty cool. Just the type of things that you guys can talk about. And I love that. Yeah, me too. So we got through a lot of the questions, you know, we got through who you were as a kid, how, you know, how you grew up, you know, the family connection to, to aviation and, you know, how an incredible story of kind of survival, you know, brought you, you know, you know helped you get into this world. And then just your, just your passion for, <coughs> excuse me, your passion for it and, you know, what you thought was so interesting, you know, from other people and that's what you wanted to do and the way you went about it um, all the way up to Canada. I mean, I just think it was, it was really, really cool. But I'm going to kind of lighten it up a little bit now. You know, we got through the serious part and we're going to, I think this section we're really going to learn who, who Sam is. So let's get into the lightning round questions. Question number one. Everyone in aviation has their own quirks. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? I would say 7.5. 7.5? All right. That's up where we are. I like that. I like that. <laughs> you, you can be a part of the club now. We like it. All right. Question number two. What's your favorite word? Uh, Zulu. Zulu? Yeah, I really? love Zulu. I think All that's right. a hilarious. All right. Question number three. And don't say poutine because it doesn't count. What's, <laughs> what's your favorite food? Uh, pizza, for sure. Pizza? Okay, okay. Yep. What sound or noise are you just infatuated with that you love? Uh, I would say the Zamboni. Really? Love the sound of a Zamboni. You know, I like how you say that because it, only, it would take a hockey player to understand – Literally, and I don't know if you know this, and I'm we're in the lightning round, and this is supposed to be fast, but I'm going to sidetrack just like I do every single episode. There is a difference between a noise that a Zamboni brand Zamboni makes and the noise that an Olympia Zamboni makes. 100%. It's crazy. It's crazy. So 100%. I agree with you, and I appreciate that because not everybody listening will appreciate that because they're not hockey players like we are. Yep. All right, so in your training so far, what's the most important thing you carry with you on every single flight? Uh, I would have to say my flight helmet. You know, okay, you have to explain. Ugh, I'm getting sidetracked. i got to stop doing this. i got to <laughs> tell everybody. So what is, is that a requirement in Canada that you wear a flight helmet, or are you just doing that because of safety and where you're flying? 100% safety. Uh, it's not a requirement at all. Um, but – Given my history uh, and my mom's history in the industry, I think that it was important to me to be safe as mm -hmm. possible. 
Um, you know, everyone complains about the cost of helmet because it's extremely expensive. I mean, I spent well over $3,000 on my flight helmet, probably oh, wow. closer to 4,000 in the end. Um, but the saying is how much is your head worth? And I don't know about you, but my head's worth way over $4,000. You know, and it's just like, even in hockey, like until I got older, you know, probably in my like high school and college, you know, I went from the, the really, really nice high end Bauer helmets because like back in the day, those were the helmets that were safe. I mean, that was like the helmet. And then, but you know, as I get older, I go back to like the old school Bauer, you know, old school helmet and, and whatnot. But I 100% agree that you got a dome up there and you have to protect it. And no, I really appreciate that because not many, it's rare that you see helicopter pilots that are just going through training wearing a helmet. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something I knew I wanted to have and it, I knew it was going to be something that was a priority for me. So from the, from the get go, I, you know, went out and I bought a helmet before my even even my first training flight officially, so I could have it from start to finish. Because as they say, like if you have a flight helmet, you need to wear it every single time because uh-huh. it's the one time you don't wear it that That's something, something might happen. Uh, so I, I I wear it on every flight, and uh, I hope to wear it in the future. I know that in some industries it's slightly frowned upon. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But for now, I'm happy wearing that. It's super comfortable. Uh, I can barely notice that I have it on. I love the full visor. Um, it, it's great. I'm so happy with it. All right. Question number six. What profession, other than the one you are training for or that you are in, uh, so the water sports, would you like to attempt if you had the chance? That's a tough one. I would I would say probably something in the realm of more of like directly related to content creation, YouTube video editing, okay. that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go with that. I like that. You know, I just edited a video today for somebody. I was looking at. It, I go, man, I have so much work to do to to get up to like the top the the top people, but it's fun. I really, really <laughs> it's like it. a lot of fun. All right, question number seven. What are you not very good at? Well, right now it's starting the audio recorder before every flight. Because <laughs> if I don't start the audio recorder, no audio goes to any of the GoPros or the audio recorder. And we've had about three or four flights now where I've forgotten to record the or start the recorder. And we've had to redo the intro and redo some of the stuff that we were going to do. And it's so annoying. I, I feel can't. so bad when Misha looks over to me and he goes, did you start the recorder? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I, <literally>, no. <laughs> I know what you mean so much because I think I've taken probably five or six flights since I've gotten my, my license. And that's not a lot. I need to fly more, but I would say I try to bring my GoPro every single time. And probably three of those times I forgot the stupid memory cards <laughs> at home. Just, Man, it's, it's it's so much work and it's so hard to go through the process every day of like charging the GoPros, formatting the cards, putting them in the helicopter, connecting all the audio cables, making sure the audio recorder is charged and formatted and everything's ready to go. And then after you fly, you have to unassemble all of that, log the footage, um, charge the GoPros again, charge the recorder again, delete those cards. It, it's 
it's a lot of work, but Misha and I have a pretty good system set up right now where I try to handle most of the setup and tear down of the GoPros. He edits his videos using the footage and I give it to him on a hard drive so that he can copy it over and get right to editing. Cause he has a lot going on throughout his day. He's flying, um, you know, a ton more than me. So, yeah. So question number eight, what is your ultimate dream in life? I would love to own my own helicopter. I think that's a, that's a pretty, pretty lofty goal, but I think I can find a way to make it happen. Luckily we're still young and we got a lot of time. Question number nine. And I know you probably have one being in the helicopter world. It seems like more people have them there than the fixed wing world. What is your biggest pet peeve in aviation? Uh, biggest pet peeve I would say is <laughs> probably it, it. I think it looks a lot cooler than it actually is. And I think it's funny to, uh, for people to kind of make comments and jokes that, you know, you're not really training. You're not really in school. You're just learning to fly helicopters and it must be so cool. And it is, it's amazing. It's an awesome experience but it is a ton of hard work. Um, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of financial responsibility and there's a lot of stress involved in all of that. And it's definitely one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. And I've done a lot of challenging things. Uh, so from the outside looking in, it looks like the dream job, the dream, you know, absolute dream. But the reality is it's incredibly difficult and it's, uh, it's hard to explain that to people. And the last one, question number 10. If you could fly anything, what would you fly? I would probably say A-Star, but since I'm talking to you, I'd probably say a Bell 429. Okay, I'll, I'll respect. <laughs> you, said four, you said 429, so I'll, I respect that answer. Because if you would have said, well, I, I would say A-Star, but I'll say 407 for you, I'd be like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. This is an independent show. We can say anything. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I have to hand it. The A-Star is an incredible aircraft. It's done a lot. I mean, for a while, it was, you know, some would say it was ahead of the 407. Um, the 407 is a beloved aircraft, but that A-Star, man, they have sold the heck out of that thing. And, I mean, it's a workhorse. It really is. It's a workhorse. Yeah, I can't can't wait to fly it. <laughs> well, then we'll have to get you into a 206 and 407 soon. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So that was the lightning round question. Just some fun questions to kind of to kind of get to know the fun side uh, of you as well. So let's start wrapping up the episode. I know I know it's getting late for uh, for both of us, but I have kind of this final question part where I'm going to ask you kind of a personal question and have you reflect on it. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me a question, um, anything. Literally, I, I don't know what you're going to ask me, so I'm really intrigued what you're going to ask me. Uh, and then I'm going to wrap it up uh, with you, and I'll just ask one more question uh, that you're going to ask to the audience in hopes that maybe we get some answers. Okay. All right. So the final question for you, what do you want people to remember you as like think down the line when you're 85 years old and you look back at your life what do you want people to remember you as i i definitely want people to remember me as somebody who is you know never afraid to try anything um 
and really somebody who has been able to have a positive impact on any type of people from all around the world. I think that's really powerful and having that lasting legacy is something that's really important to me. That, I love it. I love the answer. I love it. All right. So now your chance to ask me, the host, a question. I'm really, really intrigued to see what you'll ask me. I would have to say, what is your biggest number one goal over the next year? Oh, man. Stay married. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know. We'll figure out that one tomorrow. I take my wife on the first flying uh, our first flying date tomorrow. So uh, we'll see if I'm still married on Monday. How about that? Um, Biggest goal in the year. Honestly, you know, it goes back a few episodes ago. Um, I had Austin uh, from Arizona on. He's a helicopter pilot as well. Um, I'm kind of having this nice, even even format of both helicopter people and fixed-wing people. Um, and he asked me, you know, what I really wanted to do uh, in the space. I think that's the question. It was something like that. But in the next year, I want to make strides on... You know, and I talked to Eli a lot about this, too, and, you know, he wants to help as well. And I think this could be really, really cool. But we want to start some type of program um, here within the DFW area and maybe a program that, heck, maybe 20 years down the line it'll expand globally. Who knows, you know. Um, But a program that helps young, you know, young kids like somebody like me or you or even we can go all the way to, like, high school. We'll say high school. Um, allow kids that maybe would never have the opportunity to get into aviation, like be a pilot or be a mechanic or something, um, give them the opportunity to come into the aviation world. So if they wanted to be an A&P mechanic, how can we build a program to get them to A&P school, A&P school for zero cost? If they want to be a helicopter pilot, how can we create a program for them with our resources, with our friends, you know, around the world um, at no cost. Or if they want to do the, fi- I mean, same on the fixed wing, right? Like we want to start a program. And the, the way we saw it was, you know, you can get a scholarship. It, it's great. You know, there's a lot of scholarships out there. They can help you. And it's like, here, here's $5,000. Have at it. And we're sitting there. We're like, you know, I got a scholarship in college. I'll be brutally honest. It was great. It, you know, it lowered my college bill but it didn't really do anything for me um and we want to create a program that it helps mentor kids so kids that want to be in aviation have a passion for it they can't because they may not have the financial means but we want to mentor them through the process so it's like okay here's here's basically we're giving you a scholarship but with the scholarship we're also giving you personal mentoring not just aviation mentoring but we have, you know, we have some few uh, close friends that, you know, they could help with job counseling. They could help with other things. We want to give, you know, it'd be so cool to build a program that could give the whole scale from start to finish, you know, help these kids get to their aviation dreams and their goals. And so within the next year, it's kind of a vague goal, but it's I want to get closer to that goal. And you know, like starting this podcast was a way of me getting closer to that goal. 
because I get to look, I get to hear stories from you. I get to hear stories from you. I get to hear stories from Austin. You know, I got a really special guest coming up and I can't wait. I uh, can't wait to have him on. I can't introduce him. I can't tell you it's a secret, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's super cool. Um, and, you know, just to hear all these stories and build a network of caring young people who want to further aviation. And when we can build that network, I guarantee we can pursue, you know, young, you know, we can have young kids pursue uh, aviation. So within the next year, really, it's to get closer to that goal. I know it's pretty vague, but oh, it, there's just so that much that awesome. has, there's just so much that has to go into it. And I'm still young. I mean, Eli is way more experienced than I am in aviation. You know, I have the opportunity to work for an OEM, but I'm only a private pilot. So when it comes to the aviation space, I, you know, I'm do- like you said, I'm documenting and I'm working with what I have. And I just hope to get more experience and grow, you know, grow that goal uh, as I get more and more experience. That's awesome. Are you going to be at Heli Expo this year? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't even know what I'm doing in October. So I cannot tell you what I'm going to be doing at Heli Expo. <laughs> My travel schedule right now, it's literally like, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to go here. Okay, I get back. In two weeks, I'm going to go here. Um, so I have no idea what I'm, what I'm going to be doing. Awesome. But last question of the podcast, and we'll call it a night. Uh, what question do you want to ask my small but growing my growing audience? Because, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I just surpassed a thousand listeners, and I'm so I'm so proud of myself. I didn't know that was going to happen, um, but it's cool. So, what do you want to ask the people that are listening to this podcast today? Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, a thousand people is is so many people. It's more people than I can fit in this room, and it's so incredible for me to you know, have so many people interested in my journey on Misha's channel and then also coming over to my channel and subscribing uh, to watch my videos personally is incredible to me. It blows my mind. Um, and I think the biggest question that I have for people right now is what content other than the content that you've already seen on Misha's channel do you want to see on my channel? Um, obviously Misha's channel like is super dedicated to the technical aspects of learning to fly helicopters, extremely technical and really, um, you know, based around learning to fly and the different scenarios of learning to fly and all of that, but we don't do much outside of the cockpit. And I've had a lot of people ask for more outside of the cockpit videos where I'm living, how I found a place to live, how I financially was able to figure out this journey, um, what our debriefing sessions look like, what our classroom sessions look like, what's the hangar like, you know, what is the maintenance schedule like, what do you do on pre-flights? Like basically what's your life like now? Yeah. Which blows my mind that people are interested in my life in that way. Cause I, I would never think that that would be interesting to people. Uh, but if that's what people want to see, then I'm happy to try and document that the best that I can. Um, so yeah, that would be the biggest question I have right now for people is what, do you want to see from my channel that's different from Misha's channel? Um, it's really tricky because we film the same thing every day. So yeah. making two different videos from the same exact footage is a little difficult. And I don't want to have redundant content, content just uh-huh. edited in a different way. Yeah. I think that would be super boring and I don't want to subject people to that. Um, so yeah, 
what do you want to see from my channel? That That's really my question. I like that. So what we're going to do is when I post about this on social media, we'll, uh, we'll pose that question and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get some responses. I still have yet to find a way. How do I track that those thousand listeners are also following all the social channels? But uh, we'll pose that question, so I'm super excited. But speaking of social, where can people find you on social media, and where can they find you on YouTube? Super easy. It's Hey Sam Adams for both Instagram and YouTube. So it's Hey Sam and, and on YouTube too. Yep, YouTube.com oh. forward slash Hey Sam Adams, and then my Instagram handle is exactly the same. And then oh. my my email is also Hey Sam Adams at gmail.com if you want to shoot me an email. Awesome, because I'm sure I, I tell you, you know, if, if it's not from the podcast or if it's from, but I guarantee you'll get, you know, now that you're sharing this journey, you're going to start getting people. That's going to be a question that they're going to ask you is, A, how how are you doing it? And B, how did you financially do it? I guarantee that's going to be the top and, two questions. And the financial aspect of it, I'm so lucky to um, have made an agreement with my, my dad and my parents um, to, to borrow a large sum of money from them at a reasonable interest rate, um, which I fully intend to pay back in full within the parameters that we've set out. Um, so I'm so lucky for that. But I firmly believe that if that avenue didn't exist, I would have been able to find another way to make it happen. Uh-huh. Um, and ironically enough, uh, last October of, of this past year, I actually was in an accident and my truck got totaled. Oh, um, wow. It wasn't my fault. I was sitting at a stop sign and this car thought I was going to pull out onto the highway. So they slammed on their brakes, lost control of their car at 70 miles an hour and smashed into the backside of my truck and completely threw the whole rear end out. The whole rear box was just completely smashed oh, in. Wow. It was, it was terrible. The drive shaft actually shattered. So the, the truck was totaled. Um, oh so I, uh, I got a uh, check from insurance for my truck. And I, instead of going out and buying a vehicle, I didn't have a vehicle for about two months. And then finally I bought um, a really inexpensive Honda Civic. Um, and welcome just, welcome uh, to the Honda Civic family. Yeah, like I've, never, uh-huh. I've never not had a truck in my whole life. So it's, it's really weird. It still is weird. It's super annoying sometimes to go to home depot get a huge cart of stuff and then go out to the parking lot and be like oh wait <laughs> i know what you mean <laughs> i can't I, know what you mean. I can't fit this like i've almost had to return stuff to ikea and home depot which you know before was not a big issue but but anyway so I, that portion of the the money i i saved up and and used for a portion of the training as well um so yeah i'm really lucky that that happened uh it was a blessing in disguise because i would have never sold my truck I would have never done it. There's no way I would have done it. I loved that truck. It was one of my favorite vehicles of all time. And uh, it was taken away from me. And uh, I got reimbursed and I didn't get hurt. So it turned out great. And uh, I'm using that money to uh, to pursue this dream. That's where there's a will, there's a way. And I think you're just, you're, you're proving it. You're proving it right there. So Sam, I just want to, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your I know you're training and you're studying and whatnot, so to be able to take the time out of your day here on a Friday night, uh, it really means a lot to me to have you on the show. I'm so excited that you're on this journey up there 
in British Columbia following a huge dream of yours. But I just want to say thank you so much again for being uh, being on the show with me. Right on, man. Yeah, and I'd just like to take this time to kind of thank my my mom and dad and my other family members who have supported me so heavily during this, all my friends who have supported me. Oh, no. Who supported me and my and It's just incredible the amount of support that I've gotten from, from everyone. It's crazy. Here, repeat that again because you cut out there. Uh, you cut out there a little bit, and I just want to make sure everybody that you uh, were yeah. thanking uh, gets their thanks. Yeah, so I would just like to take an opportunity to thank my parents, my mom and dad, my my family, all my cousins, aunts, and uncles. Uh, it's just an incredible amount of support from my friends, uh, all my clients and customers in the wakeboarding industry who have been supporting me on social media and all the text messages and emails I've gotten from all of them. Uh, it's just been incredible to see the amount of support that I've been able to generate to, to be able to do this. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, it's an, it's incredible. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Ask the Av Geek. Again, guys, we're going to post this on social media, so go over to my page, Hodge underscore C-H-E. That's H-O-D-G-E underscore C-H-E on Instagram, over on Twitter, uh, and at Colin, C-O-L-I-N, Hodges over on LinkedIn. And let's continue the conversation uh, based on those questions that, that Sam wanted to. And again, guys, go give Sam a follow over on Instagram. Go give him a follow over on YouTube and continue following his journey as he's pursuing probably one of the hardest dreams to uh, to accomplish, my man, getting uh, getting those helicopter licenses. I mean, there's just there's nothing like it. I mean, I did it on the fixed wing side, but you guys have it so much harder, so I have some mad respect for what you guys are doing, and I love that you guys are just continuing the fun uh, and that you're, just, you're doing it safe, you're doing it right, um, and you're doing it for the love of aviation. So, Sam, thank you again for joining us uh, on the ASEAB Geek Show. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing I kind of forgot to uh, thank everyone at BC Helicopters, all the instructors, Misha, Simon, Sancho, and Tay in the maintenance department. They kill it for us, and I'm so happy to be in their program. And then as well as all the other fellow students I have in my class, we have an awesome class, and everyone is progressing super fast and and we're having a great time and uh, i'm so thankful for that well that's awesome and we respect the uh, the plug i'll have to uh, do they have instagram as well yeah they do uh bc helicopters is the main instagram and then misha also has is his instagram pilot underscore yellow i believe it is awesome well thank you everybody again for uh for listening to today's ask the av geek show again if you haven't already Make sure you go follow Sam over on social media. Make sure you follow BC Helicopters over on social media as well. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. The podcast, Avgeek Chronicles, is on all uh, all podcast outlets. So wherever you're going to listen to your podcast, you can find us there. So Sam and everybody, thank you again for joining us on another episode of Avgeek Chronicles and the Ask the Avgeek Show. Thanks for having me.